You know, the best thing that I learned in jazz school that I think I figured out too late, I wasn't great at it in jazz school, but, you know, I studied with John Clayton. It was still like, you know, my, my dude, like love that guy to death, you know, and he kind of just taught me how to like work at something until it was good. You know what I mean? And like that, I think was the big kind of takeaway from school. It was like not learning how to play bass, but learning how to figure things out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 102 of the Bass Shed podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. What's up, everybody? I want to give a little recap about the Bass Shed Academy launch party that I had been talking about. That happened January 7th at Lemur Music. That was this past weekend on Saturday. Uh, that was a great event. That was, that was a great event. Uh, some families came out. Some young bass players got involved. Uh, one student had a lesson earlier that day. Each of us instructors, we talked a little bit about ourselves. We did some playing. Uh, the instructor, Chris Hornung, played a wonderful piece by Francois Rabath. Um, me and Marlon Martinez played a jazz duo. We played a jazz standard as duo together. Marlon Martinez then did a solo piece. Um, his arrangement of the standard I Hero Rhapsody, which was fantastic. Uh, overall, just a great, great hang. You know, we hung out, had some food, talked bass, all of it. It was really, really cool. Um... Other news related to the Bay Shed Academy. By the time this episode comes out, the the new website will be live. Uh, the new website is thebaseshedacademy.org. That will have information about the Lessons at Lemur program. That will have information about remote lessons. That will have information about the group classes that we're starting. Uh, the first group class that will be launched is uh, a class titled Working Pro, led by Mike Viseglia. For podcast listeners, you may remember Mike Viseglia from episode 98 of the Bay Shed podcast. Um, him and I curated this course to, uh, and it was mainly him, uh, that, that, that deals with all the things that bass players don't learn in school about the occupation of playing uh, the bass and being a freelance musician. So it's, it's all the stuff that <laughs> that schooling doesn't teach you, that private lessons don't even really teach you. This is things I think we've all kind of sorted out our own way uh, through by learning the hard way and, uh, you know, a series of maybe hard knocks. Um, but we, we kind of put all this inf- information together and started looking at it and, and organizing it in an approach uh, and in a way that is very approachable. Um, and it covers all kinds of aspects of being a freelance musician and a freelance bassist, uh, not only on a personal level uh, and a professional level, the personal level being like how to deal with mental health, huh? how to deal with rejection, <laughs> how, to, how to deal with complaining about your gig. I'm serious. This is part of it. When Mike and I were talking about this, we're like, dude, dude, we all know, we all know that most most of the time, we're gonna have something to say. Uh, we're gonna have something to say about the gig, and so we need to, we need to talk about that. Who who you vent to, and having like kind of a support system of people that are safe that aren't gonna influence uh, your your job on the gig. 
Uh, we talk about things like that. We talk about potentially starting, um, you know, a business for how to deal with your taxes, how to deal with uh, being an accountant, your own accountant, and managing your finances or uh, as a freelancer. Not only things like that. We talk about audition preparation. Obviously, we're going to talk about base gear. We're going to talk about uh, tools and resources that are available and and how to use them. We're going to talk about how to learning tunes, how to chart tunes, all kinds of things all kinds of things uh, necessary for the freelancer. So I'll be talking more about that, but that is the first course that is going to be released. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. I have some other group classes coming up uh, later on. Later on. Let's just say later on. I don't know when that's really going to happen because I got a bunch of things on my plate right now. Uh, but later on. So all that is happening with the Base Shed Academy. And again, that new website will be up, thebaseshedacademy.org. All right, I got to take a second. I got to take a second and give a personal shout out to Hunter Copeland. Hunter wrote me a very, very sweet email last week, and I haven't had a chance to reply to the email yet. And I will, Hunter, if you're listening, I will reply to the email. And I wanted to publicly thank you. Uh, It was a very sweet message. um, Just letting me know that he enjoyed the podcast. Uh, He was looking forward to, you know, hearing more about my album as it comes out. Uh, I love I love hearing uh, feedback from people. It's fantastic. Let's put it this way: I love hearing good feedback. <laughs> like, you know, if you're just if you're just chiming in to uh, vent at me, yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Let me know. Let me know what you're thinking, folks. Let me know. Uh, I'm interested. It all has value. Bring it on. Bring it on. Go back to this, Hunter. Hunter, thank you so much. Uh, I do appreciate that. I will, I will email you back. I will. It's been a lot. It's been a lot going on. It's been a lot going on. All right. On the topic of my album. Uh, on the topic that. Jeez, man, this thing just seems never ending, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Just seem like it's taking forever. Um, I was in the studio yesterday. I was in the studio yesterday, and we got. Boom, it's done. One tune's in the can. <laughs> uh, a tune called Nocturne. I think that's what I'm calling it. I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see what actually gets printed, <laughs> you know, on the, on the on the playlist when the when the record comes out. I'm pretty sure it's just going to be titled Nocturne. Right now, right now, here's some insider information. Right now, the tune, this is, right, okay, so right now the tune is called Sunday's Nocturne, right? I wrote it, I wrote it at night, and that night was Sunday, years ago. Um, so whatever, I just titled the tune Sunday's Nocturne. Sundays? I think it's just Sunday Nocturne. Um, so that's what I, but then I started looking at like all the tunes that I have for the album and too many of them start with the letter S. (laughs) All right. It would not be a proper podcast intro if I did not talk more about Lemur Music. I'm honored to have partnered with them for, uh, everything related to the Bass Shed Academy and the Lessons at Lemur program. Uh, In addition, stop by lemurmusic.com. Everything you need for the double bass. They actually just got some really cool shirts in. Uh, I was down there. Down there and T hooked me up with a shirt. Uh, One, love free clothing. Two, it's a very cool shirt. Uh, Stop by the website, lemurmusic.com for everything you need for the double bass and shirts. You know, not everything you need for shirts not everything you need for shirts everything you need for the double bass and then like a shirt 
Like, there's one shirt. So, but check out the shirt. <laughs> LemurMusic.com. All right, on the episode is double bassist and electric bassist Eric Curtis. Uh, this is an episode I've been looking to forward to for a long time. I've known Eric. Uh, I can't remember how I met Eric. I But I know it was really, really close to the time I got, I got to L.A. And... I, I don't I don't remember how I met him actually I want to say one of two ways either I met him through a guitar store that a friend of mine was working at and teaching at at the time or I met him through a drummer I can't remember if I met him through the guitar store people or if I met him through a drummer named Matt Mayhall I don't know but uh, it was super early on to when I got to LA and um, yeah I just I feel like I've known him you know he's he's been part of my LA time yeah i've known him pretty much the whole time i've been here and so um he's always doing amazing things he's always doing amazing things eric um the usc guy studied with john clayton at usc we'll talk a little bit about that uh, after graduating there did some touring uh with sarah gazarek then josh kelly not too long after that he was working and touring with Dakira. um around this time like, I'm not reading his resume right now. I'm just going through what I know about Eric. <laughs> uh, I, I, I forgot what he was up to during that, that middle time. I, he it was probably just touring a lot. I know he's been in Michael Buble's band and doing some touring with Buble for a while. And he's going to speak to that. And actually does drop the dates when he landed the Buble gig and how that came to be. Um, and so maybe it's then. Maybe it's right around, uh, you know, when I he kind of fell off. Like, you know, me mentally just kind of keeps in track of musicians and what they're up to. Not a, not in an obsessive way. In a, you know, you just know what, who on the scene is doing what. One of those things. And I, I, I lost track for him. Lost track of him for a little bit. And I'm pretty sure that's when he picked up the Buble gig. Uh, he's been doing that. He's been doing that since. He's also very passionate about songwriting and production. And we'll talk about that and some opportunities that that uh, facet of the music career has afforded him. Thankfully, thankfully, Eric and I had the time to finally connect on the podcast here. Uh, I, I know I know that he had had a pretty busy last several months touring with Buble. Uh, Michael Buble's piano player, Roy Dunlap, is a good friend of mine. And uh, every time Roy comes off the road and Roy and I go grab a drink or something, like there's usually going to be a text to Eric Curtis. <laughs> about it <laughs> so here it is here's my talk with electric bassist double bassist producer and songwriter eric curtis hi can you hear me dude what's up what's up my man how are you i'm all right man it's been like what 15 years it's been a really long time it's been a really long time man how you been you look exactly the same. Anyway, <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Check out all this gray, dude. Oh, I've dude, aged like too. 50 years. I feel the same way. Yeah, that's what, the, uh, that's what the pandemic has done. Yeah, right? Us, you know? Uh, what, what session were you doing yesterday or the other day? Was that yesterday? What session was I doing? Um, I was doing, oh, I was doing a session with, um, do you know this guy, Travis Howard? He's like. Uh, the name sounds familiar. He's like a pop country. He, he like wrote all of Miranda Lambert's hit songs, and he's oh, one sick. Of, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. are Who's they that? all in Nashville? Or are they out here? 
No, he's out here. Yeah, okay. he's here. a lot of Nashville folk out here now. It's crazy. Really? I'm kind of out of the scene. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. I feel like everyone in LA is moving to Nashville and everyone in Nashville is moving to LA. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like searching for <laughs> something making, else. Yeah. Make any sense of the <clears throat> music world, you know? But you stayed. What was the, did you consider leaving? Because I know a lot of road guys dipped out. They're just like, you know, the tours aren't here. I don't need to be here. Over the pandemic? Yeah. You know, it's tough. Like, I grew up here, so it's like. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My folks are here and they're getting old and, you know, my daughter's here. And How old here. is she now? She's four. Wow. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, I love that. I was just having this conversation yesterday where it's like, yeah, the idea of moving somewhere inexpensive and all that, like, is so appealing, but it's like, where are you going to go? It's like, yeah. you kind of pay a premium for Los Angeles for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a luxury environment, not <laughs> only geographically, but like the scene. Yeah. It's kind of a luxury. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's great. What about you? How have you been? <clears throat> I'm good, man. Uh, Yeah, good. Jason, I know you know uh, Roy. Yeah. Yeah, I do know. That's awesome. Roy's uh Roy's great, man. Roy's He's great. great. Yeah, I remember when he was shedding for that gig. He guy was so serious. He wouldn't talk about it. He was Oh yeah. Yeah, he was acting like he was an athlete training, which yep. was really inspiring. Uh I'm like, dude, you got it. You got it, man. You got it. Let's go grab a beer. No, 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 man. I gotta That's he, so was, funny. he was how'd dialed you, in. How'd you meet Roy? I met him uh playing with another singer that does a similar bit, but obviously not to that level. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A dude named Chris Norton, who Roy had played with a lot in New York, and then we—I met them both on a gig out here. Chris hired me for his band, kind of on the spot, and then Roy and I just became cool. That's great. Yeah, that's fun. Love that. Yeah. What uh, What have you been up to, man? You've been You've been on the road thing. You've been doing the roads since basically I met you. Yeah, it's been about twenty years. I've been on. Who was the- Who was the first one? Patrick. What was his last name? Patrick Park. Yeah, I th- Patrick was definitely in there. I think the first road gig I had was right out of college with Sarah Gazarik. Okay. She was like a jazz singer. Yeah, and we, yeah, we basically we were touring like, you know, she was doing well at the time. That was like two thousand and five, two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay, and then um, from there, I left her band and started playing with this guy named Josh Kelly. That's who it was. That's, yeah, yeah. I met you around then. Okay. Yeah, I was on the road with Josh forever. He's great. He's still one of my best friends. He's awesome. He's just and a, you you co-wrote some of that stuff too, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, he was like, he's the guy that kind of taught me how to, like, I, I always would like write songs and whatever, but like, I was never really comfortable, you know what I mean? Like collaborating on anything. And he was the guy who like really pulled me out of my shell and was just like, dude, you have to write. Like, really? Wrote. We wrote a ton of songs together and he like taught me how to co-write, you know, and uh kind of forced me to. He even like got me a publishing deal in Nashville. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's, this guy is just, you know, salt of the earth dude. But like, yeah, Sick. you know, he was all about collaborating at all times. And like, I was so uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> he made me just So like, what kind of things did you learn through that process? Well, he would do something like we'd sit down and like write something and I'd be like, okay, well, I'll be like music guy. And like, here's some, here's a chord progression. Right. Right. And he'll, you know, and he was always like, no, 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 simpler. Like, don't let, don't make me 
like uh have the don't have the chords dictate what the melody is let the yeah yeah let the melody dictate what the chords are you know that was a big takeaway i learned from him and then he'd do things like okay cool go write a second verse and then like come back tomorrow and i'm like you want the lyrics second verse oh you know like yeah yeah that was totally you know who did you who did you go to to draw from like who are your who are your lyric people i mean i man i'm such a lyric nerd and now i am you know i i but actually no i guess i always was so when i was in jazz school this is super nerdy uh, dude what are we doing yeah. this whole thing we're doing right now yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we're, are we, are we already in, we're into the interview already right we're, we're, probably probably okay. yeah oh, cool. i wasn't sure if we were gonna be like okay, i don't know go. i don't know we'll uh, see what happens um so when i was in jazz school i created a class with shelly berg who was like the yeah. head of the jazz program at the time and the class was like studying lyrics mm. and of, of was, jazz tunes and of songs, jazz songs. American like, song it wasn't, stuff. Yeah, not necessarily like, you know, cheesy. Yeah, yeah. It was putting yeah. lyrics to Coltrane solos, but like amazing, beautiful songs that are have these beautiful, timeless lyrics. Sure. And Shelly really showed me like, you know, like I was supposed to like come in and analyze the lyrics and he would kind of show me like, cool, but like, this is how it relates to what's going on in the, in the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like little dumb things like, um, I don't know how strange the change from major to minor yeah, yeah. to a minor chord there. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, what song is that? <laughs> um, it'll come to me in a second. Can't remember the title. Uh, eh. Um, anyway, I'm playing, yeah, yeah. but just stuff like that, where it's just like, he kind of really made you, I mean, he made me conscious of like how intentional, uh, lyrical content needs to coincide with the musical thing. Like, okay. I have to have a relationship to each other. And that was like a really cool eye opening thing. It's not just like, Oh, here's a cool thing to say over, a you know, some cool riff, you know, it's like, right, no, right. No, they need to talk. They need to like marry each other in a cool way. Yeah. Um, Although there's been people with amazing careers that have just done, <laughs> you know, cool words I, over a riff. Yeah, like, totally. that, can, that can happen, too. I remember Shirley Berg doing a master class in Arizona when I was in high school. And he said something that I still think about, which is like every music has a groove. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily just talking about rhythmic vocabulary or syncopations or something but like really the spirit you know and everything has a groove and a specific vocabulary and he was very intentional about all that stuff yeah in that master class so that's something that i remember him saying uh, that really stuck out with me yeah he was i mean, I mean he's such he's such a great educator you know he's just yeah. like he knows how to explain stuff you know because that's kind of the weird thing about music right it's just like it's just kind of this like sound that provokes emotion. And it's like that whole kind of idea about like talking about music. Right. You know, and it feels like whatever, it's just so arbitrary, but there are some people who have a really beautiful way of, of doing it. Yeah. So, so who are your, who are your lyric people that you, I when mean, you, when you had to write a second verse with Josh, uh, you know, did, did, did you like, did you go, did you go back to Dylan? Did you, did you pull out yeah. Led Zeppelin? Like, where'd you go? I mean, I, at that time I was super into, I mean, you know, like, of course the classics, like, but you know, I was all, I grew up on the Beatles and all okay. that because my parents and, but, um, 
you know, I got really into, funny enough, like when I, towards the end of jazz school, and kind of when I was graduating from jazz school, and I was kind of having this like midlife crisis of like, well, <laughs> I just went to school for four years for jazz. I don't even know if I like jazz. Yeah, yeah. And I remember like, at the time, like Brad Meldow was like really into doing, I went and saw Brad Meldow play at Largo, and, I, and he didn't play a single jazz standard. And okay. it was all cool, like, Radiohead, Beatles. Yeah, Radiohead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Elliot Smith was a really big one for me. Okay. And, you know, um, and it was good enough for Brad Meldow. And so <laughs> Elliot was kind of this guy that, like, in my opinion, like, just kind of married, spoke with complex harmony. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say jazz harmony because that's, you know, whatever. But, like, you know, uh, upper level more yeah. than just a one, five, six minor four chord progression. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, so I, I got, I went down a huge Elliott Smith thing for years. Okay. Totally like right when I graduated from college and just, he kind of changed me in a way that was just like, helped me kind of find the music that I loved. You know what I mean? Cause I wasn't mm-hmm. sure at that time because I grew up on like punk rock and, you know, um, then I went to like an arts magnet high school for jazz and I kind of went down the, you know, the jazz hole. It's like you go, if you're going to study music, yeah. it's like, it's different now. But at the time I was like, well, you either study jazz or classical. And I right, was like, right. oh, classical. So I guess it's jazz. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean, so it, it, it's ironic that I did this um, whole, you know, escape from jazz for so long. And then funny enough, when the, the Michael Bublé audition came up, like I ended up getting that gig, which is still a pop gig, but you obviously have to have a background in jazz yeah, yeah, yeah. to make that a thing, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a nice, I think, I mean, I know the, the dude that I met Roy on yeah. has a very similar book to Bublé. Right. And it's, it's like jazzy enough, you know, like totally. you have to play upright. What half the show, you know, at this point I probably play upright on four songs in the show. Oh, just ballads. Two hour show. Yeah. You're like, I play, you know, I'll do it on like, uh, yeah, a couple, we, we do like one instrumental jazz tune, just the big band. And then we'll do, you know, Crimea river. And, uh, sure. you know, I, I can't even think of the other ones, a couple more. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, feel I'm feeling good. Of course, yeah. everything else on electric bass, you know. Okay, and which is great. I love you know electric bass and upright bass in arenas is is tough, man. That's a tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Right? Tough to make it sound good. Tough to play in tune. You know that whole right. thing. Uh, right. But yeah, it's funny that the buble thing that I've been doing. I've been doing the buble thing since 2016. Yeah, I joined. Yeah. Oh damn. Okay. So I joined Shakira in 2014, and then yeah, a couple of years later, it was the Bublé audition. Now, were you and Joe like trading off on Shakira, or did yeah. he come in right after you? Because I remember Joe was doing it for a minute, and then I heard you were doing it. Joe was doing it. I took over for Joe for a okay. few years, and then what was it? 2018. I was back with her, and she had a vocal issue, and she um, pushed the tour six months. Okay. And in that time, my wife got pregnant, oh, and wow. then I had Joe come and do the that tour. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I could be home, and and then I ended up going back with Booba. It, it all kind of worked out timing wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Buble was starting up a few months after our kid would have been born, whereas Shakira would have been working through the right. That's rough. The whole birth time and all that. So it yeah. just kind of all worked out. How'd you so, how'd you land yeah. Buble? Did you know did you know the MD from another gig? I knew the MD from college at US, okay. a dude named Alan Chang. And he yeah, he basically just uh got me on the audition. Nice. And who was doing it before you? Before me, it was this dude named Craig. Uh can't remember his last name, but um he uh he did it for a long time. I think now I don't know if he's playing a ton of bass now, or I don't really know what he's doing, but I think he's um kind of moved on to do more production work. Okay. But he did it for a long time. I think he did it for like 10 years. Wow. Um, and uh yeah, so I auditioned, you know, against a bunch of amazing bass players who sure. I had no business being in the same room as. <laughs> um and you know, I kind of got the this the down low that Buble was really looking for someone who was gonna be animated on stage. Okay. So I just turned it up in the audition, shook my ass, and yeah. Are you comfortable doing that? Like I'm not comfortable doing that. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, I, I, dude, I love letting loose. I love dancing. Okay, and all right. Doing the whole thing, and I, you know, it's like it might be cheesy, but man, like I honestly think that's a big part of like why I've done the gigs that I've done. It's like you know, it's. It's the business we call show. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It's entertainment and first, music totally. second. Yeah. And like, you don't want to be a, you know, look like an idiot up there. But like, <laughs> right. if you if you are authentically having fun, everyone else can feel that. Yeah, you I know? think so. I, 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 yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so you still writing? Are you yeah. Still, but uh, how's that working? Are you just people coming to you for co-writes? Yeah. Are you writing tunes and selling tunes to artists? All the above? I, Kind of all the above, you know, it's like, um, I, so Josh Kelly, like I said, kind of taught me how to write songs. He got me a publishing deal in Nashville where I was writing country songs for a few years, which was like, nice. that's songwriting bootcamp. Yeah. Three songs a day, five days a week. Okay. So it's like, that's shine, shine some light on this because I like country music actually. Yeah, yeah. And every once in a while I check into like what's on the radio with it. And it's been going drastically. It's been going oh, downhill yeah. really quick uh, <laughs> for quite a long time. Yeah, it seems like they're they're. I'm almost convinced that they might be using AI and they'll just type in a couple buzzwords <laughs> like, okay, this year it's blue jeans and like every tune. Yeah. Every tune has the same, has the same yeah. catchphrases. In it. I'm, and I'm just like, this has to be what they're doing. Nashville is just using AI to pump out hits. You know, it's a very interesting thing. Like, I, I definitely don't want to, like, talk shit. But it definitely, you know, country music, pop country music is for the masses. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like. Yeah, Big and Rich changed the game on that. Well, yeah, dude. Yeah. And, it, you know, right now it feels like pop country music is just like, you know early 2000s rap music you know, what I mean? <laughs> know yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it, like production wise it's all very similar it's really interesting which way music is going and you know i think it's kind of indicative of all pop music and it's just the you know the way that things have moved it's just like well technology has become so accessible that you don't have to be a musician to be able to make a song right and that's been happening for a long time and now the people who 
are having all the big hits are these people who are like, you know, it's like, you'll meet, I'll, I'll meet a producer at a party or whatever. And I'll be like, Oh, cool. Like what's your instrument? And they'll be yeah. like, Oh yeah, no instrument. I'm a producer. I'm like, <laughs> no, oh, so you're like, you don't. Oh, but like, what was your first instrument? Like, how yeah. did you discover music? They're like, no. no, just kind of Ableton. That's my thing. And it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's like the skill now, which is like, I'm not hating on it because obviously it's working because that's what yeah. it's, you know, these hit songs are, are doing, but, um, we, you know, technology has definitely put us in a place where it's like, you don't have to go to music school. You don't have to study, you know, for years and years and years. And, you know, I don't think it's, it's disheartening is what it is. Like if you, if you look at it from an industry standpoint, which I think what you were just doing is like, yeah, you don't have to, and you can just access writing hit songs without having to like, uh, have a craft on an instrument and do that thing. That kind of bums me out. Yeah, I think it. I think it bums me out too. And I think that the, like, I, it's one of those things where it's like, don't play, don't hate the player, hate the game. Sure, sure, sure. And, no, I definitely hate the game. Yeah. And but what we have at the end of the day is, yeah, like it's one of those things. You know, a lot of people kind of talk about. Um, actually, I have a friend who talks about this idea of like, okay, let's take a year. You learn to do what I do, and I'm going to learn to do what you do, and we'll see who gets further. You know what I mean? And it's like, and ultimately, that's why someone like you, who could learn really easily how to produce a pop song in Ableton because of your musical background, Mm. you could do that if you wanted to, but you could also go play a gig, or you could do a recording, or you could do a million other things because of your training, and ultimately, your longevity is going to... Sure. Be superior than anyone else, than any 21 year old with a laptop who's, you know, right. Just has this one thing. Yeah. That being said, I think anybody with a narrow focus has a short longevity. I mean, if you are just a player and you're crushing, you know, that's, that's still a narrow lane given the fact that the music business is, you have to be so diversified now. A hundred percent. And that, and that brings me back to, you know, your question about like, writing like so you know basically like i between songwriting producing uh mixing recording engineer like whatever like i'm just like yes i'll yeah, yeah. i'm not gonna be i love it all i want to do it all i don't which want one of it. those things are like is are you most passionate about because i know some engineers like yeah mixing is my thing i just kind of do the engineer but like my heart lives in mixing or some people are like, no, nah, I'm kind of in just like arranging it all. You know, I want an engineer to choose mics. I want, I just want to be yeah. the guy sitting on the couch, you know, singing out parts and directing yeah. traffic. Which one, which one really scratches the itch for you? I mean, I think the most that what I get the most joy out of is probably the songwriting aspect of it. Okay. You know, I love, you know, I just love creating stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, there's, there's joy in all of it. I mean, I love a vocalist in my, in my booth and working out the emotion of sure. You know, lyric, yeah. The take. Yeah. And then, you know, I love, I love doing a great mix. Cause it's like, when you hear it, it sounds awesome. You're like, I did that, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of all over the map. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not, really i don't love 
getting super technical or scientific about recording. Um, that's just not where my heart lies. I've kind of always been the turn knobs until it sounds better guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, over the, you know, 20 years I've been doing it like, yeah, I, I know what frequencies to pull out of a sure. you know, vocal or what, you know, it's like, but I definitely don't like, I wouldn't be able to talk about it on a super highly technical level. Okay. Uh, and I, I almost like, I'm good with that. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, like yeah. the same way I envy my friends who know no music theory that are songwriters and they write amazing songs. And it's just like, you don't even know what you're doing. Your ears are just so great. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I really envied that. And I, I don't know, at least I try to do that with, with recording is just try and make it sound awesome. I try not to like go too deep on the technical thing, which is, you know, could be bad. It could be good. In music, there kind of are no rules. So it's like, it is what it is. As long as it sounds good and it puts emotion in people and it moves people, that's all that matters. Sure. What are, what are some, what are some records like that for you? What are some timeless records that you can go back to and like always, uh, always be moved by? I mean, for take Elliot Smith off the table though. Like, we yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Elliot's great. I, on the jazz side of things, man, any Oscar Peterson trio with Ray Brown. Sure. I will. St I'll still listen to that stuff all day. Yeah, super. That's swing. just. I kind of never got past that in my jazz studies. Um, Man, I don't know. This is. It's fascinating uh, that you say that. I don't know if anybody does. You know, like really gets past it. I was talking to um, Tony Gar Garnier earlier today. He's Dylan's bass player. Oh, cool. So I did an interview with him. An upright guy. He he took a lesson with Dave Holland, and Dave Holland's like, "Yeah, I still just check out Ray." Yeah, that's like amazing. everybody's still just kind of. I it doesn't get any better to me. You know, there's yeah. that video floating around Instagram or whatever where like Ray's talking about like you know no one cares about how fast you can play or oh yeah, yeah. how fast you can solo. It's about like having a good tone and playing in tune and yeah have, doing and your job. Like, I've kind of just like lived my whole career on that. Like I'm I'll never be the chops guy yeah. and you know, I'll never be that, um, you know, the fancy bass guy, but like I'll learn the shit out of your songs and I'll play them perfectly. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I, I mean, it's, it, it's a funny thing because as a bass player, it's like, it's nice to see the advancements of the instrument and what really, uh, new techniques that, that have been added and everybody kind of pushing the bounds of the instrument and stuff. But I do think at a certain point you lose the soul of the instrument. If it yeah. gets too, too out in front, like that's just right. not the role of the instrument. You know? Agreed. And I, I love all these guys that are, yeah, yeah. I, I am such a huge fan. No, I'm jealous of them all. Dude, I'm totally. jealous of like, them all. Joe Dart, Nick Campbell. Yeah. Um, uh, what's that other dude? Uh, uh, blanket on it. Another young guy who's amazing. They're they're all blow my mind, and I I all watch Nick Campbell videos all day. Yeah, he sounds great. Uh, so good. And yeah. I'm like, you know, I have to like accept like, all right, that may never be me. And I'm like, but that's cool because I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make me me, and that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I'm still a huge bass fan. You know what sure. I mean? Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of like as far as. You know, I kind of, I feel like I have kind of like two sides of what I do. One is like the, in the studio stuff 
and the other stuff is like playing bass for people, which is right, right. And it's kind of interesting that like a lot of the people I work with in the studio don't even necessarily know that I do that. You know, <laughs> that's that's the, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, the quote unquote day job. Yeah, yeah, I kind of learned to keep them separate because yeah. it's been interesting to know. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like. Do you think that they'd pigeonhole you? Like if they knew who you were touring with, be like, oh, that's too jazzy. I don't want that sound. I don't even think it's that. I think it's like songwriters want to work with songwriters. Yeah, yeah. And no, you know, it's like the drummer being like, hey, let's play my songs. It's like that kind of idea. Right. Where it's like, you know, I, I had to kind of like get up the totem pole and go through the ranks to become someone who can get into the room with like some of these heavier songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, or producers, whatever. And I've kind of just gone with that and not, I've never used my base status to get there. Right. And I think if I, if I was trying to do that, people would just be like, eh. you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just a different world. They're just two different worlds. Sure. You know what I mean? So that's one thing that's been interesting. And to be honest, like, yeah, I mean, luckily Buble is down to collaborate. Okay. And I've written some songs for his records and but when I met him, he didn't necessarily know me as a bass player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? He knew me as like kind of a, a songwriter dude. And then oh, that's fascinating. So you auditioned for him, but he already had known had known of you as a songwriter guy. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, you never really know. Yeah, yeah. how they how, think of you, yeah. or like, or like, if you even remembered who I was, you know. What right, I mean? right, 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 uh-huh. right, right, right. But um, it's uh, yeah, it was really interesting because when I auditioned for him i had he had a new record coming out that i actually had a couple songs on okay but oh really totally separate and i was just kind of like a co-writer with some other writers you know i think he came into the room one time so like we definitely were working together but like you know yeah i think i think he did at some point put it together and be like oh that's the guy who wrote the song that's the single on the record and maybe right. that pushed him over the edge to go yeah he should be on this tour obviously we're pushing this song yeah um unfortunately it was called uh nobody but me okay that was like the name of the record it was the first single it was a really exciting time and then unfortunately his kid got sick and the whole tour was canceled oof what year was this so you joined the 2018 that was 2014 or was that oh wow yeah, that was 2014. Okay, so that's before you joined. Oh, I'm sorry. Full time. No, that's 2016. When 16. I joined. Okay. 2016. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just trying to remember years. Yeah. That was 2016. That record came out, and you know he's he's still down to collaborate. I had a song that almost made on the last record. It's a really cool song. Went in, got to work on it with uh, him and Greg Wells, and it was totally cool. But you know, that's so kind of. What do you do with the tune if it doesn't land on his record? Do you still shop it? You know, that's a good question. And, you know, I've had or is there some loyalty there? Because, like, I mean, you guys are, have, have you know, professionally become closer since you're touring with him. So you're going to hold it totally. for him. Yeah. You know, that's it. I've had some other songs that he's recorded that haven't made it on records in the past. Okay. Over the years, you know. Um, and we didn't do anything else with him. Okay. I think the idea is. You know, Warner Brothers wants to, I mean, here's the basic, basically the the thing is like Warner Brothers paid to own, they own those masters. That's their masters. And they want to have the option down the road 
to do something with them if they decide the time is right. Sure. And it's always a possibility. You never know. Maybe for the next record, maybe for whatever. And is there a statute of limitations on that? There's not. Um, it's just the if you want to shop that song to someone else, yeah, you better hope that someone's going to be bigger than Buble because <laughs> if someone else puts it out, then most likely he won't. You know, yeah, yeah. everyone wants to have the exclusive. Of course, yes. Yeah. So. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, uh, it's probably smarter just to leave it with him. And it's like, you know, there's no shortage of songs, right? right, right. So we can just write more and pitch those ones and pitch more to him. And just, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, you just kill your darlings. It's like, you know, I, I've written probably over a thousand songs in the last 10 to 20 years and 90 8% of them have done nothing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind of one of those things. And it's like, are they still sitting on a hard drive somewhere? Yeah. yeah. Got them. <laughs> yeah. I need to go. You never know. I mean, sometimes old songs will have a new life years and years later. And then sometimes I still have freaking Christmas songs that get into a lifetime movie every year, you know, yeah, yeah. The same song true. over and over again. You know, it's just like right. oh, some, okay dumb Christmas song you wrote in like 10 minutes, you know what I mean? Perfect. So it's just one of those things where it's just like, you just never know. And you know, the, the songwriting game is such a spec thing. And you know, now that I have a kid, it's a lot harder to make the time to just do these spec gigs. So I've kind of turned more into trying to work more for a day array, doing the touring thing, opening up my studio to clients and sure. being an engineer. You know, I do a lot of like vocal recording over here for random people. Okay. You know, it's uh it's all good. And I still have a publishing deal with uh Cobalt, which is I signed with them when that Buble single came out. And um, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff for film and TV. And you've been you know, doing that? over the pandemic, I was Yeah. Sick. I just um, did like, you know, a lot of random stuff. I did a commercial for Pan, you know, uh, Hand Express. Nice. Um, over the pandemic, I did a bunch of short films with my buddy Nick okay. Jacob Morrison, who's a film composer. Any one of those films won a uh, um, an Oscar. Okay, you know, and it's just like psh, cool. You know, yeah. first time scoring films. Oh, it's so easy. You just win an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Where do you go from there? Yeah, like, all right, just scratch that itch. Next, unfortunately, write uh, a musical. Let's do it. Sure, yeah. straight to the For Tony. Unfortunately, the composers don't get the Oscar unless it's for like best, you know, score or whatever. But you don't, do you get anything? Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, I got to post it on my Instagram. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid post. That's, yeah. yeah. That, that's worth it. <laughs> totally. What was the movie? Uh, it was called The Queen of Basketball. It was about the first uh, female basketball player drafted in the NBA. Oh. Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, the 70s. Oh, really? Yeah. How long did that career last? Not long. I, don't, I didn't. I, I've never even heard about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a whole thing. Well, there's a documentary. I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, dude. I wouldn't have curious. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, did you like that process more? Like writing to a picture lock or a story that was already told? All you had to do was enhance the story instead of telling the story? I do really like writing to picture. I think it's really cool. Um, a lot of the stuff, I mean, not to like, ruin behind the curtain for everybody but like uh you know a lot of it has a temp score and yeah. 
you your job is to recreate the temp score but make it make sense because it's like all these non-musicians are doing edits so there's like random cuts in the middle of right whatever and so you make it to a thing that flows and you get as close to that as possible without getting sued you know (laughs) that's kind of the job and that's the the skill set which is still challenging and fun and you know yeah i just i love hanging out in my studio and anything that keeps me in here is i'm happy to do you know does that does doing all these different projects really uh scratch the creative itch are you still like yeah absolutely jones in to get your own project done have you ever done your own project i have and yeah i've been working on uh i have a my own uh moniker called nitwit that i put music out under okay and uh i have a couple records out there in the world and uh always working on more about to release a new thing and i'm always do you do everything on these is this some like prince Play everything myself, record nice. everything, write everything, mix everything, okay, everything. You know, this is like my my project for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the only it's just supposed to be like, you know, holy love vibe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not trying to like do you know bend it in any way to satisfy any kind of whatever, mm-hmm. and like on occasion, you know. Something happens with it. I, I got a song on the, you know, in a TV show and random things like that will happen from time. And it's like, wow, amazing. That all worked, you know, like icing on the cake. Cause I just did it for the labor of love. And if someone wants to use it, it's even better. You know, man, I'm sure you get asked a lot because like, there's so many people, as you know, out here uh, in LA trying to get into that thing, trying yeah. to just write and get a tune placement, you know, like, TV is the new radio, basically. Yep. So if you can 100%. get a placement, you're yeah. going to make all this money, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure everybody asks you how you got into it. Like, I mean, you told me that Josh Kelly hooked you up yeah. with a deal and everything, but it's uh, what what advice would you give to those people about that hustle? You know, it's like, it's just like everything else. It's just all about relationships. Yeah. You know, and you kind of just over the years, you get to know people in the industry and they're like, you know, you should meet this person and you should whatever. It's it. It's one of those things where like it needs to happen organically, and it takes a long time. Right, right, right. And, and yeah. it's just like it's not on a like, genuine level, just really building. Like this person's yeah. cool. Let's hang. Yeah. yeah, like the music supervisor at NBC is one of my best friends. You know, That's and sick. like, and you know, and other music supervisors that I met just get close with, and some of them you don't, and they they don't necessarily call you for stuff, but the ones you are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, and it's just one of those things where it's just like. Eventually you have enough relationships where you can keep your seven days of the week kind of filled up with different things. Nice. And I've, I've always kind of been the guy with that. Like, you know, I don't love, like we said, I don't love doing one thing. In fact, I hate the idea of doing one thing. Sure. And like, you know, some may argue that I'm spread too thin and you know, that Jack, do you feel like you are none. <clears throat> do you feel like you are at times or cause I think, it it all depends on perspective and really the only one that matters in this is yours because it's your life and your career. Right. Um, do you get concerned that you're spread too thin or does each one cause you to kind of level up in a new way that feeds the whole? I think it's this, the latter. Yeah. Each, yeah. Me personally. And like, honestly, what it does for my own soul is just yeah, yeah. 
that's that's the big takeaway. It's just like I love learning new stuff, you know, and I love like mastering a new skill. You know, I never like, of course, because it's like a million different things, I'll never like be the expert, but it's like you don't really need to be. You can just do the stuff that makes you happy, you know? And like yeah, yeah. and I find that like doing something different every day is that's what keeps me happy. You yeah, know? yeah. And how uh, is how is getting into the studio thing and the production and the mixing? How has that made you rethink or relearn what you learned in jazz school? That's a good question. Because those are two very different approaches to 100%, play. Yeah, hundred percent different. You know, the best thing that I learned in jazz school that I think I figured out too late. I wasn't great at it in jazz school, but you know, I studied with John Clayton. Yeah, yeah. Who's still like you know, my, my dude, like, yeah, love that guy to death. Um, you know, and he kind of just taught me how to like work at something until it was good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like that, I think was the big kind of takeaway from school. It was like not learning how to play bass, but learning how to figure things out. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, stick with it until you, yeah, it's like, feel it toned. Yeah. All a part of the thing. Now, like, I was kind of when I was in jazz school, I was kind of like, I was kind of fooling everybody. Like, <laughs> I, I came in, I was like the hot shot dude. I, I went to an arts magnet high school for jazz too, so I was like already kind of like, which one? Loxa. Okay. Yeah, Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Yeah. And um, I was already kind of a few steps ahead of the other guy, other bass players coming in and. I was like the dude, you know, the, I came in as a freshman and I was in the A band and like all that stuff. Right, right, right. You're like the, all the, the young lion on the... Yeah. And everybody thought I was like, you know, whatever. And except John Clayton fucking knew that I was... It was <laughs> all bullshit. And I really had none of my shit together. <laughs> and he, he was, you know, he totally called me out on that stuff. And honestly, I don't think I ever really got it together for him, but the skills that he gave me then, like now I know how to do my homework. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't think I ever showed up to a lesson having put my hundred percent into it. Really? But now I know how to do that. You know what I mean? So I think that's like, uh, that was what I learned from college, but I probably learned it maybe, you know. 10 years after I graduated. Right, right, right. I was like, oh, that's what he was trying to teach me. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember hearing about John's curriculum and it's like, we get requests. Like, that was his thing. It's just like, learn this whole record, which is a great record to learn. Like, everything yep. you need to learn is on that record. Well, it was. it's interesting because we would do, yeah, basically the John curriculum was, you know, legit. Yeah. Classical stuff. And then transcribing, starting with Ray Brown. Sure. And then, you, and then you kind of move on to other guys after you kind of do enough Ray. Yeah. And that's where you start. I never moved away from Ray. That's okay. just like yeah. talking about. But um, that was his thing. And it was just like only transcribing, writing out bass lines, memorizing solos. And that was it. Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, what are we going to learn? Like, sweet, you know, like. Yeah, well, I'm going to learn all the flashy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and yeah. it's like, where, what am I going to learn all the chops, you know? And yeah. it's like, was not the lessons. And like, it's one of those things where it's like, now you appreciate it so much. 
at the time it was like this is hard like oh (laughs) yeah like this is the worst part of it all so sick of transcribing and i suck at classical music you know this was like one of those things how long did you stick with that i love classical music and i love the bass and the bass repertoire for it all i just don't have the time to dedicate to it that i would love to but i love that stuff i love it too and i kind of keep trying to get back into it and i you know it's like i have a my buddy who i was doing the film scores with yeah. he does a lot of conducting work and he always okay. tries to get me on his session so i've been doing some or- orchestra sessions just like a handful a year yeah I'm always scared to death and yeah. like luckily mike valerio is the sweetest man in the world i bet him and i him and i was like maybe two weeks ago uh this Mexican spot right by Fox and he got done with the session and I was interviewing him for base magazine and we, we hung for like three hours. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. He's the best. And honestly, I was so intimidated. One of the first sessions I did with him and he, he was just so cool. Yeah. yeah. I've gone over to his house a few times. He lets me check out his bases and his bows. You know, there's, we're supposed to get together and I'm supposed to, you know, bring a bunch of bows over. I'm supposed to buy a new bow, you know? Okay. Okay. I just haven't gotten around to it. Also would love to, Oh, I'm supposed to sounds like it was homework. Like someone gave I mean, you this job to fulfill. I've had the same bow since high school and it just sucks. Ah, yeah, I mean, okay. It's just like, yeah. If you like, want to start doing the pro work, like get some yeah, pro gear vibe. Yeah, totally. And I've been, you know, uh, I know it's just going to make my classical life better. Um, but yeah, that's on the list. I also would love to either put an extension on my bass or find an orchestral bass. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, it's yeah, ex- I was talking to dudes in that scene and like, yeah, you like everybody, you need an extension. Like if you yeah. don't have one, go yeah, get yeah. one. And then we'll, then we'll throw your name in the hat, but like get the extension. first. Yeah. You can't show up to a orchestra session without. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's what I kind of learned. It's like, okay. A- everything for bass now is written below any, you know, yeah. I mean? that's crazy. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm sure not everything, but like, you know, anything that's film scorey or anything that's right. You get all the way like, down there. Yeah. Yeah. Want scary low sounds, you know, <laughs> yeah. open C done. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of on the list. So yeah, to answer your question, like, no, I didn't take it super far. I'm really good at faking it. And, um, you know, I, I'm anytime I'm in those situations, I, it's so humbling and, I walk in being scared to death and I walk out feeling amazing. And it's just, it's something I definitely want to keep doing, but I I need to like dedicate some time and some money to like up in my investing in going that direction. Yeah. 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 What, uh, what are you currently working on? How many projects you have in the can at the studio? Um, you know, working on a couple records for other people, one is with this dude named Isaac Corin, who is uh, this amazing singer, like beautiful Australian dude. And he's just like, we're actually doing a jazz record, but nice. it's kind of not a typical jazz record. It's all kind of like down tempo, <laughs> excuse me, down tempo, like trailery kind of music, hmm. you know? So, it's really, uh, really cinematic. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what's what's his what's what's he play? He's just, he's just a vocalist, and he's okay. just amazing. And he wanted he wanted to do a jazz record, and I was kind of just like, 
what's going to make me excited about doing a jazz record? And I kind of pitched this <laughs> idea, you know, it's like, well, the, at the end of the day, I'm like, Hey man, if you want to do a jazz record, like you should call Jason Goldman or, you know, one of these guys who's a big band orchestrator or right. whatever, like if you want to do a legit jazz record, but I have an idea for us if you're down and he was like, cool. And we're doing this thing. And now we're like 10 songs in and it sounds awesome. Oh, damn. What's the, uh, what's the instrumentation? Uh, it's all kind of like in the box, but like some live drums, some live upright bass, a couple okay. other live features, but a lot of it is like, kind of like, you know, more on the electronic tip, you know? Okay. Like the first record, I had two records come to mind. Like, um, come to mind, but I blank on the damn title. What was the one Meldau did where it was kind of oh, electronic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, Largo. Yeah, that was Largo. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then, uh, the Kurt Rosenwinkel one. Oh yeah. Called? Um, hardcore. Yeah. I think it was hardcore. Yeah. 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 But this, there's a lot of programming on it. Totally. This is kind of more like almost like in the Portis head kind of vibe or like, Sick. you know, okay. Or even like radio heady okay computer Super lounge yeah yeah like that kind of stuff or we even pulled from remember those what were they called those like 90s blue note remixes that they did they're all like kind of hip-hop versions of like 90s blue note too. oh yeah, yeah yeah like we were listening to some of that stuff for inspiration too okay so that kind of stuff it's gonna be super cool um and uh he's just like an in, incredible vocalist i mean just on another level um so doing that, work on another record for some friends I did that I did a record for years ago. And, you know, always doing like new projects with, you know, different songwriters, just things for pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, my own stuff. And uh and then like random clients who want to just like rent out my studio for the day. You know what nice. I mean? Nice. Do you trust them? I, aren't you nervous? Like, I mean, do you know them, or like, do you have, do they have to sign all this paperwork? Like, it's usually I'm here engineering, or I'll hire someone I know to engineer. Okay, that, so you're never completely hands off. We're like, yeah, it's unlocked. Just lock it up. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, so usually it's more, totally. Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of. I don't know how they do it at commercial studios, but like, if someone came into my studio and to try to figure out my patch bay and all that, it's like right. I would have to show them, spend a couple hours, teach them how to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think like, even when you go to studios and you want to bring in your own engineer, you still have to pay for theirs because they know right. the room, they know the yep. rig, you know, totally. which totally. makes total sense. And then they can just tell where yeah. you bring in to deal with it. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, how'd you, what was I going to say? Well, I'm curious about your mic locker for upright oh, basis. Yeah. What, uh, what do you use for your upright? You know, the, I use the flea 47. Okay. Which is this, the basically it's like the two spec 1950s U 47. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love doing the flea and like in right in front of the bridge and then I'll use like totally on access because a lot of times when I've gone into sessions, they'll put it just like on the treble side F hole, you know, kind of yeah. off axis, just a little right between there and the bridge kind of yeah, yeah. totally. And then I'll do, I'll put like, um, like a pencil mic, um, okay. right at where the, um, neck meets the body okay. the sound. Okay. And it's kind of like all the high end and the 47 gets all the low end. I always have the 47 going through a Neve 1073 with some EQ help. And then 
um, the pencil might go through an API to get more of like a punchier, okay, you know, um, brighter tone and yeah. kind of mix those together. I usually mix the, the, um, fingerboard mic down a little bit and depends on the, the vibe the of the tune. Board. Yeah. Um, I also recently got a, um, an old K base. Oh, really? And I found this awesome K on Craigslist for 300 bucks. Oh, damn. And then I took it to Lisa and then yeah. put another thousand bucks into it, you know, of course. Yeah. Uh, but the bass is awesome and I put guts on it and now, and that sound is like totally. Is that going on that down tempo? Is uh, it that yeah. sound? Yeah, some of that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Anything that's like kind of country or bluegrass. Yeah. It's all thump, no sustain. Right. It's that total thing. And so now I have like my nice bass and that bass. And so it just kind of like depends on the project, like how lo-fi and greasy they want it or how like, you know, high endy and, um, you know, pure they want it. And that kind of depends on like the mic mix too, between the two mics. Right. I mean, like if you just need that low end stuff, it's just all 47. And if you want a lot of detail, like a modern jazz record, then it's like you get that neck mic up in the, in the mix too, you know? Right. But right, I'll, right. you know, I got to work with, um, you know, a capital bunch with Al Schmidt and, you know, his whole thing was that kind of the neck mic and the body mic. And that's okay. like, you know, super game changing. I can't remember where I heard it, but maybe it was a guest on the podcast. Maybe it was someone when I was doing the session, but some legendary engineer, and it's really terrible that I'm forgetting all the important details of this, but the detail I remember is they would put a mic right by where you right where their ear was. Yeah. So they're trying to capture how the bass player heard the bass. That's an interesting trick. I know they do that a lot with like acoustic guitar too. Mm. You know, okay. it's an, yeah, it's a totally interesting idea. I, you know, I may have tried that a couple of times. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it all it all depends on the, you know, depends on the the recording, you know. Sure. It's sure. like, a, you know, I don't, you know, it's like there's always, like the mic locker thing is interesting. Like, if you're playing an acoustic guitar and it's just like acoustic guitar and vocal on a track, use the 47. It'll sound giant on the acoustic. But if it's in a mix, you want something that's going to cut all that low end out. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like I'm, I don't know that much about that, like the whole mix thing. Uh, yeah. I'm doing my record right now. Oh, cool. What are you doing? Um, it's mainly tunes I wrote. Um, it's like nerd jazz. It's total nerd jazz. Um, odd meter shit. Oh, it's great. Who's on it? Uh, it's me, Nick Mancini, Chris Wabich, and Brian Walsh. Oh. Playing play, bass clarinet. Amazing. So, like, uh, you know, like, before I went into the studio, like, uh, the engineer is this guy named Dan Cole. Yeah. I don't, you know Dan? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so went over there. Like, Dan and I had played a lot together. And like, all right, man, we're just, like, checking out records. And he's asking me questions. And, like, I don't know, you know. Like, I, I don't know how to set up mics for what the mix is going to be. So, like, that yeah. was the whole thing. Like, we're checking out different records. Uh, I'm like, you know. Dave Douglas's The Infinite has bass clarinet on it. I like the sound of that. Let's pull that up. Yeah. Pull that up. He's like, dude, there's no low end on this. I'm yeah. Like, oh shit. I've never really listened to this yeah, on yeah. the monitors. It's crazy. It's a whole whole different world that I purposely don't get into. Yeah. It's that's a deep rabbit hole. It really is, man. 
it's also one of, yeah, it's one of these things I never thought I would be into. And then you just kind of, you know, it was really from doing my own stuff where it yeah. was just like, you know, the goal of my own music was not just to like, well, just essentially just to get better at everything. Like right, right, right. I want to be a better songwriter. I want to be a better singer. I want to be a better bass player. I want to be a better guitar player. I want to be a better drummer. Uh, you know, I want to be a better engineer and I want to be a better mixer. And, you know, it's all kind of, you know, I, what the, the whole point is the process, you know what I mean? I've had people be like, yeah, why don't you get like a, you're friends with so many amazing musicians. Why don't you have them play on it? And it's like, yeah, that might be a thing too, um, to satisfy whatever that time is. But Right now, it's just about like me just trying to understand how these instruments work and how they right. work, mix. And I just, you know, I'll do like literally a thousand drum takes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I suck at drums, but <laughs> after a thousand takes, I, I can have a really great comp together. And I've, but I feel like in five better. years, if you started like hiring drummers, you know exactly how to speak to them. Not that you yeah. already didn't, totally being a rhythm section player, but the fact that you've done the job informs you in a whole new way as an engineer and producer, which I think is invaluable. Exactly. I think that's really important as a producer to know how all the instruments work. You know what I mean? Right. And that's another thing, like back to what we were talking about before about like these guys who are producers and they're like, just working in Ableton, like, you know, what happens if they want to produce a record with real musicians? I mean, they probably wouldn't, but like, you know what I mean? Like what happens then? You know? And that's why, we do this work. And one thing that was really interesting to me, I was having a conversation with my publisher at Cobalt and they were sending me artists and we were kind of talking about strategy and they were just like, listen, every 21 year old with a laptop is out there producing pop music. Right. We want you to be like the real instrument guy. Like let us send you Mm. singers and writers. Okay. Because, Everyone can do the pop music thing, but not everyone can do the real. Right. So we want you to be our resource for that. And I was like, yeah, wow. I never, cause I was trying to do pop music too. Right. I, right. Except for I'm just like a little bit older and don't know the, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The I'm not like I'm not listening to pop radio, yeah. and I'm, but I'm like, well, I just want to be relevant. So maybe I should be doing pop music, but it was kind of like really eye opening about just like, yo man, like do what you're good at, like do what you right. know. Yeah, you know, and I was just like, oh snap. Like I still love pop music, but um I just like, yeah, I'm just kind of like committed to this this angle of I think it's cool, you know? man. It seems like it uses, you know, connects all your worlds. So yeah. it's pretty cool, you know. Totally. Totally. It's, it's gotta be a pretty uh encouraging place to be, is like you're getting called to utilize the skills that you've developed. Right. You know, yeah. that's that's the shit. I, yeah, I'll, I love that, that idea, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, and it all, it's, it's funny how the bass kind of sparked it all too, you know what right. I mean? Like, it's just everything. It feels like it's built from the ground up on the base. Sure. Like, I mean, it is, but also like, that's how I look at when I'm all the other things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's funny. Cause like I'll kind of, usually I'll record bass last on everything. Oh, really? Yeah, like I kind of like save that, save that for last, and let you know. It's like I, I almost um, the process of 
everything going first and letting the base be the glue that makes everything work together. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But feel- that, that's got to change your playing approach because now you're, unless you you know what the base is going to be doing and you have an idea for a, mine, a line so you can like leave that space carved out for it or you're just utilizing the space that's left over. You know, it's I think it's more that because I'm most proficient on base. Mm-hmm. I can kind of figure out then how to complete everything with the base. Sure. As opposed to if I feel like if I started with the base, it would be like too busy and too whatever. Right. You know what I mean? It's that whole thing about like. Or you're trying to force some base thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the danger of being a bass player. Right, right. It's not like you're like, I'm so good at bass. Yeah. <laughs> I have this idea. Like, All right. Well, does that really serve the song? Or, you know, that whole thing. So sure. it's interesting how it's kind of like. You know, the base is the glue that puts it all together. But at the, at the same time, I'm kind of like forcing myself to almost do less unless it needs it kind of a thing on the base out of like fear of the, you know, I never want people to be like, oh, this is obviously produced by a bass player. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, what, what do you write on? Guitar? Guitar, piano. Yeah. Okay. Guitar. Did That's you go hard. back and like get your piano chops together? You know, what's funny. I actually started on piano. Uh, piano really? was my first instrument and I've always like been able to get around on piano pretty good. Okay. And, and guitar, to be honest, like I, I was a guitar player before I was a bass player. I started when I was like 13, I was in a band and there were two guitar players and a drummer and I was the shittier guitar player. So That's I, how it works. Yeah. And how it always I, works, yeah. you know, I'm bass for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, what are those guys doing? Are they still, are still, they still on the scene? Yeah, actually, uh, I think they both are. Yeah, they both are. One of the dudes is like a singer-songwriter. He has like some stuff going on. His name is David Rosales. He was the singer of the band. And the drummer is named Ty Gaddis. And I think he plays with like a metal band that's like doing really well or something. Really? Yeah, but everyone's everyone's still doing it, you know? (laughs) That's Um, hilarious. But yeah, and my dad was a bass player. So he had his his 1975 P bass in the house growing up. And so I played that. Nice. All, my, all through junior high and high school and 75 that was a tank wasn't it oh dude yeah, yeah. i mean literally played it yesterday i was over there yesterday and it's like it's got to weigh 10 or 11 pounds yeah oof what's your what's your what's your electric when you go out uh i have a mulan on the road okay uh p? mulan p that i love it's so great it reminds me of my 66 p man and- those really hit the scene like what maybe six eight years ago yeah i did like everybody in la was like playing those things yeah yeah i don't know where they came from but i just remember them like everybody was either gonna buy one or had bought one yeah they they kind of like you know who who kind of put them on the scene was tim tim yeah i figured i remember he had one yeah Yeah. he had it he loved it he knew those guys and they're in korea um and they're just amazing handmade instruments um i ended up getting like a five-string jazz bass and a p bass from them um and then I'm actually playing a uh, a Stingray on the road. Okay. Five, five string Stingray classic. All right. 34? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a cool bass. I really yeah. love it. Uh, it's pink. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Like <laughs> like bright, obnoxious pink. Uh, it's like like kind of like a pink. soft, like little fluffy yeah, yeah. cotton candy. It's like shell pink with a tort guard. It's pretty okay. cool. Okay. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. Sounds awesome. I love it. I, you know. Uh, I always kind of wanted one and you know, the Buble gig, you kind of need a five string okay, and, and like a P bass for the old Motowny stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have both of them up there, and uh, yeah, you know that that. I was that, actually looking. I've been looking at five string PJs like yeah. the last couple of months, kind of for that same reason. For when I go out with that dude, like yeah, yeah. for the Motown thing, you need the P sound, but you need a five string. Yep. Uh, so I've been checking those out, and there's cool. there's there's not a lot of companies that make five string PJs. No, and it seems like it would be kind of the best of both worlds, you know. And yeah. you know, and there's also like five string P bases that are cool, and I think actually Mulan makes one. Um, but the, you know, I've found now this get, this is super nerdy, but like no, I mentioned that me and Valerio talked about this actually. I'm okay. curious to hear. Uh, maybe you've talked to him about the one he just bought. Yeah, he did. He says yeah. he doesn't. He says it's not a P base. He didn't like the pickups. Yeah, he's like, I love the bass, but it's not a P base. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, I have found that like, because I've thought about like, well, is there one bass that I can play for the whole Booba gig or even when I was sure. with Shakira, for the Shakira gig? Um, cause it was a similar basis, um, for that. And, you know, I've just found that like part of the sound of the P bass that we love has to do with the tension on the neck mm-hmm. and a five string P bass even if it's like everything is spec'd exactly the same as a four string P bass, the four string P bass sounds different. And it's because of like the strings, the weight and the tension pulling on the neck. Sure. You know what I mean? The way the strings react is on the four string. And that's what's like, yeah, you just got to have that thing. Like you're not going to get the the old sound. You're not going to get that sound. It's going to sound too clean because there's more tension. Totally. Just exactly. by the nature of the other string, right? And it's going to feel different because of the tension, which is going to make you play different, which right, is good. of course. Yeah. So yeah. like, I'm just like, you know what? Have a couple bases out there. Right. Know? What do you do for the upright situation? Do you have a flyaway? I, Buble owns a base. It's an old K. Okay. Um, and it's a great old K. It, um, though it's, it's crazy. I have, uh, two pickups on it and a microphone. Okay. Oh, so it has a realist, an underwood, and one of those clip-on mics, and okay. and I have a little Aguilar rig up there so I can monitor myself. Okay. So my, my pedal board looks hilarious. <laughs> it's, literally, it's literally on the upright, so it's upright and electric all in one pedal board. Yeah, yeah. And so the electric side is, you know, an AB box and a tuner and a Sansam, and that's yeah. it. And then the upright side is literally two tuners for the mutes for each pickup and then uh a third tuner that's on all the time okay so now, if you can't because you know playing big upright in big arenas is not yeah, yeah so if i need to like, check my pitch or whatever like i have a tuner that's always on so i have literally four tuners on my board. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hilarious dude have you ever checked out the trick fish stuff yeah, you know, and man, uh, their AB box is like that's the shit for when I go out. I have the electric and the upright, like the trick fish, you know, dual channel AB, a tuner, and a volume pedal. Yeah, the best. I gotta check the fit. I know they're amps, but I don't know. I didn't know they're making boxes. Yeah, they're doing boxes, and like apparently they're making onboard pre's now, like where uh, you can take the the chrome plate off a jazz bass and it's already preloaded with their preamp. Like, uh, Jay retro was doing that. They started doing that years ago. Amazing. Their preamp. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't checked that out yet, but I'm a big fan of their company. There's a dude. What's the dude's name? Um, Blinken, the guy who works at vibrato, a great bass player. Oh yeah. Uh, Hussein. 
Hussein. So yeah. he told me he turned me on a trick fish. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'll when we get off, I'll text you. Okay. I'll introduce you to Justin. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he'll probably hook you up. It's uh they're great stuff. And that A B box is the Oh, that's box cool. is shit. Right. It's amazing. Dude, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for taking yeah, the time. Yeah, of course, send me some dude. stuff, dude. I want to hear what you're producing. I did. I will. All I right. will. I'll shoot you some nitwit stuff. All right, kill it, dude. We'll yeah. be in touch. All right, man. Talk soon. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right. All right. That was my talk with Eric Curtis. Uh, there used to be like a performance of Buble on Netflix that, that Curtis was on, Eric Curtis was on. Um, I don't know if that's still on there or not. I remember seeing that a few years ago. Um, I apologize, Eric. I didn't watch it. No, I don't think that really affects you that much that I didn't, but I meant to. I meant to. And you're going to be like, hey, my boy, Eric. Uh, I did not. I did not do it. I, I probably ended up watching some true crime documentary or, or or like the thing about OJ again. I got obsessed OJ all over again when all that stuff. Uh, but if check that out, if you have Netflix and you watch uh, live music performances, I, it may still be on Netflix. That is Mr. Eric Curtis on bass. Um, the man who is doing all things, all things music songwriting production playing with the biggest stars and doing the biggest tours eric curtis all right if you are enjoying the bay shed podcast please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it uh that's about all i got for this one folks all i got i will catch you on the next one in a minute